0: Open your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. I'm going to do something that I have never done before as a preacher. I am going to change my lesson that I had planned for this morning at the last minute. So I'm not even going to use the slideshow because I don't have a slideshow presented today prepared for the lesson I'm about to give. Um, the lesson I was going to give this morning um, is more of a first principles kind of lesson, and I had hoped that there were some people that might be here this morning that aren't here, and I wanted some of those people to hear the lesson uh, that I had prepared, and I was anticipating maybe even some, uh, some guests, some, some visitors from the community. So I'm going to save that lesson and, and preach that at another time. So this morning, what I want to bring to you is um, from John chapter 3, um, our Lord's interaction with this man, Nicodemus, and he has this interaction, and remember, as verse 1 there in chapter 3 tells us, a Pharisee uh, came to him, and that man's name was Nicodemus, and we remember about Pharisees, these were very learned men, they knew the Old Testament, as we would call it. They knew the law. They knew um, what God had given to the children of Israel, what had been preserved for them. They knew the sacred writings. And so bear that in mind as we go through and, and, and listen to the interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus because Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus in such a way as, Nicodemus, you ought to know these things. You're a Pharisee. You're a learned man. You're a man who knows Scripture. Yet I'm having to tell you these things. And also bear in mind that Jesus adapts um, what he is saying to his audience. Sort of what I'm doing today. In other words, as a learned man, he's going to speak to him a little bit differently than he would, say, the woman at the well, which he'll speak to in chapter 4. So bear that in mind as we go through because there's, a, there's something else behind all that and the reason I, I'm emphasizing that is people will come to these, some of these passages here and misconstrue what our Lord is saying and try to use this as a way of dismissing the necessity of baptism. And I think that we'll find in Jesus' teaching here that he is laying down the very principles and ideas for the necessity of baptism. And so, with all that in mind, let's, let's read through the text here, and we'll stop along the way and comment as we go. John chapter 3, beginning verse 1, it says, Now there was a, a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to him by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you, have, that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now let's stop right there. So Nicodemus comes to him and says, uh, we know that you are from God because you're performing these signs. And at this point, what John has recorded for us in his gospel is, uh, the turn, in chapter 2 there, um, we're t- turning the water into wine. That's what we have recorded so far in John's, in John's um, gospel. But, but, Nicodemus says, you have that power, so you must be from God. Look how Jesus answers him. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Does that have anything to do with with what Nicodemus has come to him to ask him and and to to inquire of him? See, this is where we get the idea of Jesus knowing his audience. And he is using this opportunity to teach this learned man about some things that that Jesus is bringing in. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, that sounds strange in Nicodemus's ears. How do we know? Because look what verse 4 says. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born again, can he? Now, we scoff maybe at that, at that, at that question. Well, here's Nicodemus, he's totally missing the point. Well, put yourself in his shoes for a moment. He's come to Jesus and says, you know, teacher, um, we know that you can do these signs and no one can unless you, unless God is with him. And Jesus turns the conversation completely away from what Nicodemus might want to ask him by just blurting this out. And so let's, let's put ourselves in his shoes for just a moment. What are you talking about, Lord? What are you talking about, Jesus? Being born again. I can't enter my mother's womb a second time. Can I? How can I be born when I'm old? I'm already already born. So those questions may not seem so strange, given the interaction that we see here as John's recording it. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, what is that? What is that? What is Jesus saying? Well, he's expanding upon what he's already told him. I say to you back in verse three, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus wants to know, how can you be born again? Jesus says you're born again through water. Unless one is born of water and of the the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So he's expanding upon what it means to be born again. What does it mean to be born again? Jesus says, unless you're born of water. Now we're, we know, and we know through, and this is very early in Jesus' ministry, that things are going to have to happen and, and the, the gospel is going to have to unfold as Jesus is, is teaching and preaching to understand more about baptism. And it's not going to be until the day of Pentecost where Peter stands up there and the people say, and he, he convicts the people of what they have done, and they say, what can we do? We've put to death the, the Son of Man. Remember what Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of your sins. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's then when all the pieces are put together, where we truly understand about baptism. But Jesus had already told, at that time, by Acts chapter 2, he had already commissioned his disciples to go into all the world make disciples of them, teaching them all that I have taught you, baptizing them. So the, the, the command to baptize has already gone out. But here is early on, and Jesus is talking about the underlying principle of baptism. He's talking about the idea that we have to be born again, that we have to put to death that old man of sin, as Paul talks about in Romans 6. We'll go to that in just a moment. So back to our reading, verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it. But do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus is drawing the distinctions here, isn't he? He's drawing the distinction between the physical and the spiritual. See, the Pharisees, all those who are living under the law of Moses, are so wrapped up in the physical. They're so uh, overwhelmed and wanting to even, to the point of even um, setting aside a tenth of their spices. You know, God said to to set aside a tenth of everything. They're, they're, They're down setting aside a tenth of their spices. That's how far they've come down to the letter of the law, but they're missing the spirit of the law. That's why Jesus is trying to tell them in his teachings about the spirit of the law, what God is, is is interested in. Verse 9. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be true? Now, again, look at what Jesus has said. You born of the flesh is the flesh, that which is the spirit. Do not marvel at this that you must be born again. The wind blows where it wants to, and you don't know where it comes from. What must be going through Nicodemus' mind? What, what are you talking about? We have the benefit of understanding all the rest of the story, but put yourself in Nicodemus' shoes. Lord, what are you talking about? Verse 9, Nicodemus answered, said, How can these things be true? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you a teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak that which we know and bear witness of the things that we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how shall you believe when I tell you heavenly things? Again, drawing the line, drawing the distinction between the earthly and the heavenly, the physical and the spiritual. And no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, even the Son of Man. Verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes may in him have eternal life. So here's the, he's saying, you've seen earthly things, you've already told me that you uh, witnessed the the signs and the wonders and that I must be from God, but yet you don't believe the message that I'm bringing. If you see these earthly things and don't believe the message, you're not going to see the spiritual things and believe the message either. That's why Jesus is trying to get him to understand these are spiritual things that he's talking about. Trying to get his mind to, if you will, come out of the physical and into the spiritual. That's why he's speaking to him in this way. No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, even the Son of Man. Again, the connection. I came down from heaven. The spiritual has come down to the physical. Listen to what I have to say. This is not in the text, but can't you understand? Can't we see that Jesus is trying to get him to understand? I came from heaven to tell you these things. I came from the spiritual realm to the physical realm to tell you these things. Why aren't you listening? You're a man of of faith. You're a man of of Israel. You're a man of the law. And so verse 14, Jesus introduces another little piece here of of the story. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him have eternal life. Now we know what that means, don't we? What's he talking about there? He's talking about being lifted up on the cross. Look over in chapter 12, verse 32. John 12, and verse 32. Here's another reference to this idea of being lifted up. He says, Jesus speaking here, he says, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. What's he talking about there? We know what he's talking about. He's talking about being lifted up on the cross. Drawing all men to myself. Who is the the gospel available to? All men, all nations. All people, as we find out in Acts chapter 10, as Peter finds out that God is not a respecter of persons. But is called all men everywhere who will believe in him. Have the gospel available to them. And so, back here in chapter 3, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever may believe in him will have eternal life. We know, of course, he's talking about being lifted up on the cross. Does Nicodemus understand that? See, the, the, the story's unfolding in front of Nicodemus. We know the whole story. So again, here's Here's Jesus introducing something else. He's already saying you've got to be born again. And it's and told Nicodemus that that's, that's, unless you're born of water, he's, he's uh, alluding to the fact of being baptized. Now he's talking about being lifted up. Verse 16 helps us to kind of get rooted, I guess you might say. The pivotal point maybe that... that that Jesus is driving at, a verse we know so well. Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So here he's revealing the, 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 the reasoning behind God sending his son. Why? Whoever believes in him should have eternal life. So he's talking about baptism, he's talking about the, the, the cross that he's going to go to, he's talking about why God did all this, to save mankind. Verse 17, for God did not send the Son of Man in the world to judge the world, but that, he might should save, uh, that the world might be saved through him. This is one of those things that's used quite a bit in, in Scripture, the not this, but this construction. It's not this, Jesus didn't, God didn't send his, send Jesus into the world to judge the world, but to what? But to save the world. And we know, we see through, through John's writings, through Jesus' teachings, when, when people come to him and want him to be that earthly judge, you know, Lord, to tell us who's going to get the inheritance, and he says, I'm not, I'm not here to do that. I'm not here to judge between you in that way. I'm not here to to parse out these, these earthly things and these worldly things and these minor things. I've been sent here to save the world. I've been sent here to, to be put on a cross, to die for your sins, to be raised up on that third day and to ascend into heaven. And why? Because God so loved the world. Verse 18. He who believes in him is not judged... He who does not believe um, has been judged already because he has not believed the name of the only begotten Son of God. Again, skeptics and critics of baptism will try to twist this and and say that you just got to believe. You just believe in God and and you're saved. And then baptism is something that comes later. We'll schedule it for the the end of the month. That's when we have all our baptisms or, um, you know, baptism, an outward sign of an inward faith, or any, anything they might do to, to dismiss it, because they'll come here and say, he who believes in him is not judged. I believe in God, I'm not judged. And then they'll say, look, it says there, he who does not believe has been judged already. You're right. <laughs> if you don't believe in the Son of God, what chance do you have of being saved? Because why? Because... God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son because as Moses has lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so must the son of man be lifted up whoever believes in him may have eternal life so if I don't believe in, in God I'm condemned already I'm judged already because that's the mechanism by which God has determined that he's going to save mankind from their sins verse 19 and this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world. And men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does, not, uh, who does evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Again, Jesus... <laughs> expanding on his teaching. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world. What, why would he say that? Why would he say that the light has come into the world? Well, John helps us to understand this idea. Go back to John chapter 1. As John is, is remember, this is John writing um, this gospel Towards the end of the first century, these things have long taken place. So as we read his introduction, remember all these things have taken place. He's he's writing a historical account, if you will. But he's setting the framework by which uh, his gospel will flow and understanding why it is that Jesus came into the world. That's why John 3.16 is is recorded that way in John's gospel and helping us understand that. John 1:1, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning, uh, He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him we have life. and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. Here's this idea about light. John helps us to understand about a light coming into the world. Jesus says that he is that light. He's that light that comes into the world and exposes both truth and evil. Good and evil. Truth is in the light. Good is in the light. Evil is in the darkness. Come down to verse 9 of John 1. It says, There was a true light which comes into the world, enlightens every man. He was in the world. Remember, he's writing about Jesus in the past. He was in the world. And the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came into his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. Speaking of the Jews there, those who, he came from the, Jesus was a Jew. He came from, from that lineage, born under that time. He kept the Jewish faith. Verse 12, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the, fl- nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Here's the idea again. What did Jesus say? No one has ascended to heaven, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And he's come down as the light of the world. To illuminate mankind, to, to bring truth, to bring God's plan, to bring the plan of salvation, to save man eternally from their sins. And so as John is uh, excuse me, as Jesus is speaking here to Nicodemus, he's, he's laying out a lot of things, isn't he? This is this these principles undergird the gospel. I'm talking about being born again through baptism. We're talking about Jesus going to the cross and being lifted up, calling all men to himself. That's the way in which men will be saved. He's talking about the reason behind all of that. Why? Because God so loved the world. God loved the world, and this is the reason that He's done these things. And I have come into the world to expose, to, to segregate the light from the dark, if you will to bring to light the true word of God and to expose the darkness of those who practice that. And he talks about that as being a judgment. It says, The men who love darkness, verse 19, rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. Isn't that true? Think about how much crime happens at night. Not a lot of some, but we think about the crimes. They're happening at night. Why? The cover of darkness, right? can slip off into the night. hides the perpetrator. It hides those who are practicing evil. Just from a very practical standpoint, we understand that. Jesus, of course, talking in the more spiritual realm. Everyone who who, uh, practices evil hates the light. They don't want their deeds to be exposed. They don't want... The truth, what Jesus is bringing, to expose them, and that's exactly what He's doing. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. If we're practicing righteousness, we want we want to be in that light. We want to walk in the light. We want to be a part of it. We're not bothered by the light. Because the deeds that it exposes of us, if we're practicing righteousness, are good deeds. They're not evil. We have no shame. Shouldn't worry about those things that are exposed if we are practicing righteousness. I want to go back and circle back to this idea about baptism and conclude our time talking about this. Critics, and I've had... um, a recent conversation in social media about um, this interaction with Jesus and Nicodemus, and talking about this idea of being born of the water and the spirit. And something came up in that conversation, which I and maybe it's just because i just never heard, maybe it's out there, but someone trying to d- to dismiss this idea about being born of water said that, well, what you're talking about there is just the the embryonic fluid that one is born of. That's the water that's being spoken of here. I had a hard time even trying to, and I, I in these conversations, when I have conversations with people of the world, I, I do my best to try to understand the angle in which they're coming from, and the reasoning in which they're coming from. I do my best, because it helps me in my appreciation and my stand in the truth, to know what's out there. But that one, kind of took me off guard. I, I had no idea of where to turn. Where do, where do I start looking for that? And the answer is, there, there is no place to start looking for that. That's simply a, a way to dismiss the idea here of the necessity of baptism. People are quick to do that. and People are, are, are want to, to twist the scriptures so that they can do that. But what Jesus is doing, and this comes back to what I said in the beginning, is think about the context in which Jesus is speaking. He's speaking to a learned man. He's speaking to a man who knows the scriptures of old. And a man who should have known who Jesus was. Because the scriptures speak of him. The prophecies speak of a coming Messiah that would redeem Israel. He would uh, be a king. He would sit on the throne of David. All those things. And so he should have known these things. And so as he's speaking to him, he is giving him, uh, if you will, um, look at it a couple of different ways, as an undergirding principle without putting the things on top of it, like the, the functioning of baptism and, the, and, and, and the just carrying that out. How does that, how does that happen? He's saying you've got to be born of water, born again through water. Well, that's the idea behind it, but what's the functioning of it? Well, you, you're immersed in water and you come up out of it. You know that, That's what Peter talks about in Acts chapter 2. And all throughout Acts, as we see those who are being baptized, we see the functioning of it. But Jesus is laying down the principle for it. And so people want to take this and, and try to, to twist it in that way and, and dismiss the necessity for baptism. But... Jesus is laying down the very principle for baptism. And he does it by saying this, unless, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now that's a very, very clear sentence structure, isn't it? We recognize that. Unless I do this, I cannot do that. Fill in the blanks. Unless I am born again, I cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's very simple. So what does it mean to be born again? Well, Jesus expands on that, unless you're born of water and the Spirit. So, again, Nicodemus trying to understand this. Jesus is saying it very clearly. And then in this context, in verse 14, as, as, as Moses uh, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so, so, the Son of Man be lifted up. Whoever believes may, in him may have eternal life. Again, Jesus is laying down these principles that will undergird the gospel message. So unless he is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Go over to Romans chapter 6. So again, the argument I'm laying out is Jesus is is, is putting down some some fundamental elements, some foundation of the necessity of baptism. When you get to Romans chapter 6, Paul puts some, some, some more elements on top of that. Verse 1 of chapter 6 in Romans. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? So here, Paul's talking about life and death, right? But he's talking about spiritual life and death. Verse 3, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father so we too might walk in newness of life. So Paul is expanding upon, if you will, what Jesus' undergirding teaching is. What was his teaching? Unless you're born again, unless you are born of water, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Paul's saying that, you know what, when we're baptized, we're baptized into his death. That's how we come in contact with the blood of the Lord, through, his, through baptism. We have been buried with him through baptism into death. There's the spiritual death, or, beg your pardon, the death of the old man of sin. I'm be very clear about my terminology here. Putting to death that old man's sin in order that the Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Lord, we too might walk in newness of life. So here again, physical and spiritual. There's a physical act that's taking place when we go down in the waters of baptism. Peter makes it known uh, very clearly. It's not the waters that's washing away dirt from the flesh. That's not it. What is it? It's an appeal to God for a good conscience. But there's a physical act that must take place. That has to happen. And in that, we render obedience to God. And in doing so, We get to walk in newness of life. We've put to death that old man of sin. And so Paul here helps us to understand the basic teaching that Jesus is teaching here with with Nicodemus. He's helping his readers understand that this is what baptism does for you. If we have become, verse 5, If we have become united with him in likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Paul makes a, a connection here to the, to the crucifixion. In our, in our death, it's like we've been crucified with him. That, that old man of sin has been put to death. And we don't have to suffer death as he did. He suffered the physical death. We don't have to. We don't have to suffer the physical death in the way that he did, because he did it. That's why he did it. We get to put to death that old man of sin and raise up out of the baptismal waters and walk in newness of life. What a blessing that is. I bring this lesson, and I know that we all understand about the necessity of baptism, but I hope this gives us a little bit more appreciation, if you will, or, or... maybe a little bit different way of looking at it as far as remember the context in which this is presented. Remember who's speaking here. Remember the time frame. Remember uh, the the qualifications of each one, of Nicodemus, and and why he might be coming to the Lord, and why it is that the Lord speaks to him in that way. He doesn't speak to the Samaritan woman over in chapter 4 that way. He... Talks to her about some things like um, water and food and, and, again, making some connections here about um, the physical and the spiritual. But he lets it known that um, you worship that which you do not know, we worship that which we know. For salvation is of the Jews. When hour is coming and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth, for such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him as spirit and in truth. That's the kind of worship that we are to offer him. Spiritual worship. We don't have the animal sacrifices and, and the feasts and, and the keeping of all those things. Those were fulfilled when Jesus came and died. Now we're in a spiritual realm. And we offer spiritual sacrifices. The fruit of our lips, the 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 doing things for one another, the sacrifices that we make in in our own lives and the living sacrifice that we are. That's the spiritual realm that we are in now. And Jesus brought that about through his burial, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. He ushered in that time where we worship our God in spirit and truth. We offer an invitation, as we always do at the close of our time. We serve an awesome God. We serve a God that is willing to give even his own son to leave heaven, to come to earth, and to be so poorly treated at the hands of men and put to death on a cross. God was willing to do that. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What are we doing in response to that? I believe every one of us in this room are are children of God, have put on Christ through baptism. We have to continue to walk in that newness of life and continue to make sure that we're living up to that standard. Walking in the light. Appreciating and respecting and, and being humbled by the gift that God has given us in His Son. If you're a or failing in that, if you need prayers of the congregation, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.